As you find your place, go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus. Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 16 most of the morning this morning. We looked at Exodus 2.23 last week. We're going to look at Exodus 16 this morning. Just a, a little thing that will be helpful to you, and it's absolutely connected about to the God who cares. Um, we, we work with the homeless around here in Gastonia and in Kings Mountain. And don't be surprised when they come and worship with us. That's our prayer. That's what I'm uh, working towards, being in their lives and getting to know them and building relationships with them as we not only meet practical needs, but we realize that the greatest need people have is a gospel need, not just to, to fill their bellies. And, uh, and so uh, let, let me help you. As you go out, there are, there are little what we call blessing bags out there on the table. Uh, that is what you need to put in their hand, never money. Don't give them money. It doesn't help them. Um, these blessings bags has a gift card they can get some food. It has the gospel. It has the basic things that they need. And um, people need food, clothing, and shelter. And so we try to help with those uh, basic things when we can. Show them you care by giving them you. They are people made in the image of God. There is no need for you to be uncomfortable or rigid. Just sit down with them, look, in it, look at them in their eyes, ask them their name, and have a conversation with them. And so these bags are meant to, there to be people who care. We must get involved in, in people's lives. And so just wanted to help you with that uh, because um, they, will, they will come to us as we care for them. That is what we want and that is what we pray for. And so last week, we were in Exodus 2. If you remember, we looked at the children of Israel who had been in slavery for 400 years. We talked about what it must be like to have been a slave for 400 years to where a slave begat a slave that begat other slaves and slaveholders begat slaveholders that begun other slaveholders. And, and we even thought about some of our American history and how that played out in here in America for, for uh, over 200 years. And, um, we, we then we've seen that God wasn't sitting idle. He wasn't for 400 years uh, on a vacation. That God heard their cry. God remembered the covenant that was made to Abraham. God saw them. He knew them. Remember we talked about that knowing, that intimate personal knowledge. And he delivered them. He did all of this. Because he is a God who cares, and he is a God who makes promises and always keeps his promises. And so, little test from last week. What is the most repeated command in Scripture? Anybody remember? You're not. That's right. And remember, we talked about the tone of that. So I want you to open up your Bibles. Just hold your place in Exodus. Open up your Bibles to Philippians. I want you to see... I want us to start sort of where we ended last week. Philippians chapter 4 and, and verse 6. I, don't, I want you to see this different ways the Bible tells you to don't fear or don't be anxious or fear not. Look at verse 6 to start with. and Then I'm, I want you to see something here. Philippians 4 verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so, here is just a, one example of a fear not. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. But notice what we talked about last week, that always accompanies a fear not. 
And so back up to verse 5. It says this, and I'm reading from the ESV. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Another way we could read the Lord is at hand is that the Lord is near. So put that together so we understand the context of this God who cares. The Lord is near. So don't be anxious about anything. You see, there's a difference in the tone of saying don't commit adultery and saying don't fear. Why not? Because I'm near. That's, that's the message of Exodus 2, and it's the me- message of our life. It's the message of God's people's life throughout history. In other words, what I want you to understand is God's not a once and done. God's not a ask Jesus into your heart, sign a card, get your free, get into heaven free card, see you, see you when you die. And he goes and does something else. That's not God. That's not the God we serve. He is actively involved in his people's lives. Scripture is saturated with one message. No matter where you go in the Bible, you will read a story about God's faithfulness. And you will read a story that's trying to teach us we can trust him. We can trust him. Look at, um, or just listen, Psalms 36 verse 5 says this. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And so what we're learning about the children of Israel is God did not hear them because of the quality of their prayers. God did not even hear them, and we're going to see this in in the message, in the text today. God didn't even hear them simply because of the character of his people. They were a bunch of grumbly, whiny people. He heard them because they were his people. He had chose them. They were his. He had made promises to Abraham and he was not going to break his promises. God delivers us, but how does he work in your daily life? Many of us have had hard weeks this week. Everything's always changing. What is it going to be like? Does God always deliver you in your daily life situations the way you expect to be delivered? What does it look like? So Israel was in slavery. They have been delivered from slavery. And now they're journeying in the wilderness. And here's what we find. With this new journey comes new challenges. (laughs) New seasons of life. New opportunities to worry and to be anxious. New reasons to be afraid. They might have moved out of Israel, but Life's still hard. So how do we navigate that? I want you to see God daily delivers. He also perfectly provides. Then we're just going to look at some basic steps. Steps that your pastor used last night. That that practical in your life of how do we navigate the worries of life. The God who delivers. Look with me now. Flip back to Exodus 16. Look at verse 1. Exodus 16, verse 1 says, They set out for Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Verse 2, 
And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died in the, hand, in the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So remember we said, Whether you are oppressed or whether you are free... Worry and anxiety is not going to leave you alone. So they were oppressed. They were slaves. And they cried out under their oppression. It was hard. And they cried out to the Lord and they delivered them. Now they weren't slaves anymore. But was their anxiety gone? No. Their anxiety was not grown. Their groaning in Israel from oppression now turned into grumbling in the wilderness. We're hungry. They were like a baby who eats and two hours later it's like they've never seen food before in their life. And they have forgotten who it was that fed them two hours ago. (laughs) Israel's just a picture of us, isn't it? But this is the truth. Life's hard. We're not going to belittle the fact that they're on a journey and their food's starting to run low and there's a lot of people. (laughs) Just imagine how much food, how much water you had to provide for such a astronomical numbered people. How many times you heard, are we there yet? You know, like a vacation. It won't end. He wants them to see that God is near to this. And, and just an aside, people who say that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament almost seems like a different God. It's just wrath. and It's not reading, their, just not reading the Bible. Just, they say that because they don't read it. Because when you open up the Old Testament and you look at God's relationship with His people, you are amazed at His steadfast love and faithfulness. Look at verse 9, Exodus 16. It says, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumbling. As soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard your grumbling. I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall have meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Notice verse 10. God's glory means God's presence. When we see God's glory descending on the people, it is His, his presence and His he, it is His active present. God is omnipresent. He is all present at all times. He's God. He can't be defined to a temporal space at a temporal time. When, when the Bible says God is near, it means He's about to do something. He is near. He is active in the lives of His people. He's going to protect them. He's going to guide them. He doesn't always do it the way we expect. Notice the grumbling. We could spend a lot of time on the grumbling. I just want you to notice this. The grumbling points to something. That it's not the character of God's people. Notice the ungratefulness. Right? Do you see it? in the? No more get out of Egypt. As soon as the first little problem have, they, they start grumbling against Moses and Aaron, which, by the way, Moses would say, when you, what are you that you, who am I that you grumble against me? All grumbling is against God. And yet, 
And yet, in the midst of their grumbling, of their whining, what is God about to do? Feed them. It's just amazing. <laughs> you know, my kids have went to bed many a time without a meal. He said, sit there going, well, you know, okay, there's always breakfast. Maybe they needed that, but God knows best, doesn't he? He's doing something here, and I want you to see it. You see, the God who provides is also the God who tests. He's doing something other than just giving them food to eat. So, let's think about this. You know, last week we talked about root fruit. The the fruit of our lives, the issues that we have, if you wrote them down today, the things that you are struggling with that are the most concerned for you, what would they be? We have said people's perceived issues and perceived needs is seldom, if ever, the root of the issue. What is the perceived need here? What are they anxious about? They're hungry. Not only they're hungry, their families are hungry. But the fruit, what's the fruit? See the grumbling. Grumbling's the fruit. Grumbling's not the root. So you ask the question, what is the grumbling saying about them? What, do they, what are they trusting in? What do they want more than anything in their life? What is that grumbling saying? What is the root issue, you see? That's the testing. It needs to reveal something. Is the root a faithlessness? Yeah. Is it ungratefulness? Yeah, probably. Entitlement. I deserve. I need. I expect. Those root things, when we put them down here, what they produce when they come out is bad fruit. And that's what we're seeing. So God's doing something. Here's what He's not doing. God is not playing mind games with His people. That's not what he's doing here. It's not what he's doing in your life either. That's the lie we believe. God is forging a relationship. That's why he's doing the way he's doing it. Everything that we're going to study, that's what he's trying to do. He's, I was a machinist, really a tool and die maker. All of my grown life, even from childhood, I, I was a part of that. I know a little something about forming and stamping metal. And here's what I know. You're not going to form any kind of metal without pressure. And it forms a whole lot better if you put some heat on it. And so you take a big hunk of steel, and let's say you want to make a knife or a sword, you're going to have to apply some heat and apply some pressure on that thing, or it's never going to be a functional sword or a knife or anything. This is what God is doing to his people. He's forging a relationship, he's not playing mind games. He's also revealing things about us. And here's what God loves to reveal. That oftentimes we have divided affections. We love the Lord. There's something else down in our roots, down in the dirt and the soil of our life that we love too. God needs to reveal it. Just listen to James. We know this. James 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven to and fro by the wind. Verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. God wants to reveal that oftentimes as we love the Lord and seek to trust Him, there is existing in our roots, in the core of who we are, worry, anxiety, and those things even deeper, those fears that we've been talking about. Fears of this and fears of that. How will we know what's in our roots if the Lord does not reveal that oftentimes we have divided affections, that our love for the Lord is not pure. It has been, it has been infiltrated and polluted by the cares of the world, the things that we think we need, that we think we deserve. That's what's going on in the children of Israel, and it's oftentimes what's going on in our life as well. Um, third thing about to notice about this is that God ordains the challenges of life with a purpose. In other words, they're running out of food. It's not just an accident. It's not just the weather. It's just a bad timing. God's doing something. Proverbs 16, 4 says this, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. He says, goes on down in verse 9 and says this, The heart of the man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. So the God is the one who delivers. He reveals our fears in order to teach us to trust him. But here's the issue. Remember our story. <laughs> They're still hungry. <laughs> They're hungry. Their food is still low. It needs something to eat. So it is God who perfectly provides, both physically and spiritually. Even when God is providing something physically, we'll see that he's doing something spiritually. People had problems again. They had need again. Exodus 16 and verse 16. Look how the Lord's responding. That's what he commanded. Verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take a homer according to the number of persons each, that each has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Verse 19, And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some of them, some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. So what's going on here? The people are, are hungry, and so God gives them manna, this heavenly bread. You know, he'd give them meat as well. But he gave it to him with some instructions. So I want to teach you a principle this morning. This is a principle of life. It's one of God's principles that he was teaching them. And he called it the manna principle. What is the manna principle? God will give you enough for today and today alone. It's a principle. God will give you enough. Look at what he's telling them. 
Take as much as you want. But don't leave anything for tomorrow. Why not? Why not save it up? You know, stockpile it. Don't we need to prep for that? Isn't that what God would want us to do? So let me say this, just as a church. It is dangerous to hoard money. It is dangerous for a church. It is dangerous for a church when Aunt Sally dies and leaves the church a million dollars and they put it in some kind of reserved account just in case. Brothers and sisters, we are the church that's been sent by God on a mission and we do not hoard things. That is dangerous, brothers and sisters, because what it teaches us is that we can do it ourselves. We are in control. And what happens over the people is the same thing that happened in the Israelites is we eventually will live like we need not God. The manna principle is this. God will give you enough for today, but you need to trust Him with tomorrow because He cares for us. Didn't he do the same thing with the disciples? Mark 6, 7 and 9. Listen to what he did. He sent the disciples out. You remember this? And in verse 8, Jesus charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. So they went out with nothing but the clothes on their back so that they may learn to trust God, that God would provide for them as they are on His mission. The lesson is not that God wants us to starve tomorrow, but that tomorrow God wants to show us how He can take care of us. Isn't this what Matthew 6 teaches us? We looked at that last week. That if God cares this much about animals and grass, how much more does He care about you? People made in His image that he has given his covenant promises to. The manna principle. But not only that, the question is this, do you trust me? <laughs> Here's another question. How are you sleeping right now? How are you sleeping? So he incorporates into this, we'll see this in verse 23 in just a minute, what I want to call the faith of sleep, and the faith of rest, the faith of Sabbath. But there is a faith in going to bed at night, isn't there? Right? I mean, don't we all get to the end of the day and still got more on our plate that we never get to? Wake up in the morning and I can jump clean over what I should be focused on, which is my relationship with the Lord and enjoying Him and get right to my to-do list. But at the end of the day, every person, no matter what they believe about God, has to say, I am human, and i got to go to sleep. It is a confession, whether we like it or not, that we are not in control. Listen to what the Bible says, though. Psalms 127 and verse 2. I just love this. It's, it just convicts me. It is in vain. Vain means useless. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Takes faith to go to bed at night when we all have plenty to worry about. And so, inside of this caring for his people, 
God reiterates the faith of the Sabbath. Look at verse 23. Exodus 16. He said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a solemn, a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil. And that is left over will be kept till the morning. Verse 24. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath of the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather, gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people, here it is, you say, here's the test, and here's the, the constant failing of the test, too, amongst some. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they didn't find anything. So God institutes this Sabbath. Why? Oh, how important it is to know the why of what God does. He institutes it so that they may learn to trust Him. This was part of the test. It was also part of the gift. Now think about this. They were people who raised crops and raised animals. If there was no crops, there was no Food. If there was no food, there was no money. If there was no money, there was no life. Now imagine you were in the people of Israel and you were told to keep the Sabbath day. But your garden's right, right? I mean, it's Friday. <laughs> and, and the watermelons are right. You know, the tomatoes are, they got to be picked, right? Not on the Sabbath day. What's going to happen? What if I lose my crops? This is a big deal to people who farm for a living, who made a living on the land. Do you see the test? Do you see the test? That's the point. The point is, do you trust me that even if you lost part of the crops, I can bring a greater yield, that I will take care of you? You need to stop your working you're laboring with your hands and worship and trust your God. That's the test, you see. After the fall, God went back to work and He has never stopped working. He works. We rest. Ed Welch said this, Worry and fear are about danger, perceived needs, and being in control. These are the core issues. When we worry and fear, they were worried about what? About food. They were danger. What if we don't get anything to eat? We might die. That's the worry is the fruit of that. Things are not going the way I wanted them to go. My, my relationships aren't going out the way I expected. Worry and fear is the fruit of those things. The Sabbath then was instituted for these people as a visible confession that God is in control and we can trust Him. And brothers and sisters, listen today. We are new covenant believers. Who is our Sabbath? It is not a day of the week, brothers. It is Jesus Christ. He is our Sabbath. And we had entered into relationship with Him through faith. Christ in us and we in Him. He is our Sabbath. And you can take a nap and not rest in Christ. There's a final rest coming. What, 
what our brothers and sisters in the past called the eighth day. It's coming. Physical provisions, but also spiritual provisions. You, can't you see even in the physical, God's doing something spiritually? He's always teaching us, always revealing something about us and about God. But listen, God made you physical and spiritual. You are not just a body. You're not just a body with a soul or a soul with a body. We are body and soul. We are physical and spiritual. And both needs to be sustained. That's why when someone comes, if they are homeless, we don't just say, be warm and be fed and God will pray for you. No, we give them something to eat. Why? Because they're hungry. But this is what Jesus said. Remember, he's in the wilderness being tempted. Turn those stones into bread, Jesus. You can do it if you're God. Lord said this, Matthew 4, 4. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So how do you feed your soul? This is the question for us this morning. How are you spiritually feeding yourself? How's that going? How are you spiritually feeding other people that are in your charge? Do you eat a Twinkie once a day and call it healthy eating? Would that sustain you over a period of time? Do not we not know that we need to eat regularly and sufficiently to be healthy And to be happy, so it is with your spirit. Not everything, not everything, but many physical problems in life come from spiritual malnourishment. We are starving our spirit. And you need not think it won't bleed out physically. Write this down. Make a note of it. When we neglect three things... Malnourishment will come in your life. God's word, God's community, and God's mission. God's word, God's community, and God's mission. You rob yourself of any of those three, your life will become meaningless and hollow, and you will begin to be spiritually malnourished. God has given all of these things to us as a gift of His grace so that we may grow in our Love for God and our love for each other as we're on His mission together. I want you to see a verse, 2 Peter. It was actually in our small group curriculum um, this past week, but I want you to see it. And I want you to see it, if you would, from the text that's on your screen. I believe it's up there because this is from the New Living Translation. And this just grabbed me uh, this week. And I wanted you to see it. It's so clear. Uh, and, and the in the having your mind, the root and the fruit. How do we have, if we have bad fruit in our life, how do we get good fruit? If I got bad root problem system in my life, how do I get a good root system? And how do I grow and stay and keep healthy? Just listen to this passage. It's so clear. By His divine power, God has given everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who has called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. 
These are all the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Let's pause there for a minute. Do you see what He's teaching us there? That the bridge to go from the bad fruit to the good fruit is these promises. Verse 5. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affections. And brotherly affections with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a message right there, isn't it? Call for the response. I would challenge you to make the verse, that, the verse you meditate on this week. Because in that is the secret of conquering fear and worry. So how? We asked the question last week. So how do we navigate the fears and worries and unknowns of life? I simply want to give you six steps. Six ways not only manage your own worries, but also to help others manage theirs. This is not new to me. This is from the late David Pallison. First, recognize you are depressed, anxious, tense, or even better, that you are beginning to enter into that. You are beginning to have these hopeless thoughts. You're beginning to have this feeling of anxiousness in us. And you know this is true. I've got them and you've got them too. When we get anxious or worried or stressed, we have physical clues that begin to happen in our body. Whether anybody knows it or not, people who love you know it. I might call them, for me, ticks. Somebody knows me well enough, they'll, they'll know. Hmm? Something bothering him. Begin to know yourself to when you're starting to enter into that place. Catch it. Say it out loud. And then get you a piece of paper and write this down. What am I worried about specifically? Now, don't speak generally. Don't be, you know, little Baptist Baptist people who always say Jesus and sin. Be, spe- be specific. One to three. Hopefully you don't have more than six, but if you do, write them down. You know, but don't write down like, I'm getting old. You know, yeah, are we all, right? Some quicker than others. Went to... Brother David's back here. I went to Parkwood yesterday and was sitting back there and receiving friends at a funeral. And I was watching people go through the line. And a lot of them I hadn't saw in six, eight years. And I was sitting there going, you know, there's some of them aging better than others. <laughs> and they're probably saying the same thing about me. No, no. Old age is not specific. But are you afraid of getting Alzheimer's? Is Alzheimer's a fear of yours? Then write it down. Set your relationship with your spouse, then write it down. And and then ask yourself this question. What things on this list can I do anything about? In other words, if if global warming or the Russian invasion of the Ukraine is on there, that's probably not on your to-do list today. Right? So just 
Just mark that off. You know, that's not on my to-do list. I don't have any control over that one, God. What are your today's pressures? What is today? Remember the manner principle. What is today? God, what do I need today? Then, number three, gather your reasons to trust God more than your fear. Now, three and four here, you're going to probably have to have some help. We are really bad at being objective in our own life. Every one of us have reasons to be worried and depressed. Think about it this way. You are a worried, depressed, anxious person. Someone else is not worried, anxious, and depressed. And both of you are going experiencing the same sun and the same rain and life. Life is hard and yet people are responding differently to those things. Like we said last week, it, these are not simple things. But here's how you must fight spiritually. What reasons do I have to trust God more than that thing I'm afraid of? What does the Bible say? This is the gift of remembering. Remember how God has delivered you over and over and over. And here's what's going to happen. In the midst of that beginning of I'm depressed or I'm anxious, you begin to take that thought captive. You say, I I feel this happening. Lord, I am worried about this. And here's what you'll, if you practice this, here's what you're going to have. The seed of gratitude. In a minute, gratitude comes into the picture. You'll, you'll be amazed how quickly anxiety leaves. You need help gathering, so ask. Gather people. Who do you need to gather? Here's just the truth, and I'm just being honest with you today. There's a lot of wonderful people, but not everybody needs to be the one that you pull alongside and ask for help in this situation. Who do you need to know? Those people who are already vested in your life. There are people that the only way I ever get to talk to them is if I reach out to them. They seldom ever check on me. That's just the truth, and you got that situation just like me. But listen, the people who are vested in my life, who cares about me and I care about them, they can help you gather what you need. To fight the good fight of faith. And then ask this question. What right now in the midst of my fear and worry is controlling my heart? In other words, we're trying to penetrate now down into the root. What is this worry? And see, if you don't write it down, it'll just be, it won't mean anything. But what is this worry, this anger, this, this actual thing, this busyness? Pastor, can we give you mine? We'll talk about this tonight if I come to your growth group. My workaholic tendencies, right? That's, that's mine. I'll confess it. What does this say that I want more than anything in life? What does my working too much say that I expect, that I'm entitled to, that I can accomplish, that I must do? What demands is it making of me? What lies is it telling me? And when I discover that, I write it down. You know what that gives me something? Something to repent of. Something to repent of. Do you see the process? Catch it. Write it down. Gather your biblical resources, including biblical people around you. Penetrate into the roots. What is controlling your heart? And then have an honest conversation with God. Hopefully this whole thing is done in the spirit of prayer. It should be. 
Practice makes perfect. Have an honest conversation with God. Here's what you don't need to do. And if you're doing it now, you need to stop it. Stop puking emotionally all over other people. The first person we take our stuff to is our God. Not our spouse or our friends. You will begin to suck the emotional life out of people if you're constantly emotionally upchucking on them every time you talk to them. Take it to God first. He can handle it. Don't use King James when you pray. Just speak normal, honest, frank, but thankful. Remember Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything. In other words, put off anxiety. Put on prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Letting your requests be made known to God. Take everything that's on your list. The good, the bad, the ugly. The things you understand and the things you don't have a clue about. And lay them in front of the Lord. And then, brothers and sisters, get up. And do what needs to be done today. Trust the Lord with tomorrow. Tomorrow, I think I read that somewhere, didn't I? Tomorrow, take care of itself. There's plenty of things to worry about tomorrow. And there always will be. Do what needs to be done today. Where's Mike? I don't see Mike. He's sitting somewhere different. There he is. He's hiding back there. Mike taught me this. Mike taught me this. Create victories. Right? I'm having a bad day. Maybe going to the gas station and filling your car up with gas seems like a small thing. But if you're in the midst of a, of a, of a deep depression, it might take everything you got to go fill up your gas tank. Create a victory. Do what's best next. God's going to give you enough grace for tomorrow. He promises he will. So the question for us today as we close is will we trust the ever faithful God? Again, I want to close by reading this verse that we've heard many times out of the New Living Translation. Lamentations 3 verse 22 says this, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I just wanted to take a couple weeks and to talk to you in a real a simple, basic way, giving you some practical ways to encourage you how much your Lord loves you and how much He is involved in your life. And He's doing something in all of our lives. He's teaching us to trust Him. And so, brothers and sisters, let us trust Him using God's Word. Let us trust Him with each other. And let us trust Him on a mission. Let's pray. And so, Lord, now, as we come to this time of response, there are many things that we may need to respond to. There may be things that you have brought to our mind that we need to repent of. And so, Lord, thank you that we can come to you even as we sing, as we worship, 
And your forgiveness is full and free and restorative. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to the tables together now. And as we sing and as we worship, we also take the bread and the juice into our lips and we remember how much our freedom costs the Lord. And Lord, may it be afresh and anew to your people how much you love us and how much you proved his love because you gave us your son. And Lord, as we respond, we want to come here in just a minute and gather a team together that's about to go on mission for you. And Lord, our brothers and sisters in Honduras have had a, a shocking last month losing somebody on mission over there. So Lord, I pray that you would send us over as pastors and shepherd, as gentle Give us, Lord, the comfort we need to comfort those over there who have, are just now processing what has happened. And so, Lord, we go over there to go on your mission. We also go as your people to love on your people and to gather those. So, Lord, we pray for the gathering, both here and there. And as we leave, Lord, we are responding as we leave today. And so, Lord, may we respond with not only gospel clarity, but gospel mission. As we respond in worship, Lord, not only receive our worship, but shower us with your grace and your spirit so that we might enjoy you now and forever. Amen.